the incomparable. Number 392, February 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and I am reconvening our comic book club to talk about a DC comic, DC Comics character and series. I don't know the DC Comics that well. We'll get into it. But I, I, I enjoy reading uh, Steve Orlando's Midnighter from 2015 and the follow-up, Midnighter and Apollo. So sort of a couple of trades followed by a third trade. And you don't need to know the background, although we may get into it about who Midnighter is and and, uh, what's going on there. Joining me are two people, one of whom I know has better DC Comics knowledge than me, and that's Lisa Schmeiser, who is usually here when we talk about comic books. Hello, Lisa. Welcome back. I've missed the comic book club. I'm so glad we're doing this. Well, we are back and joining us, a first-time comic book club member, but he's he liked this comic, and it's one of the reasons why we're talking about it. It's Joe Rosensteel. Hi, Joe. I've maimed a goat from space. It had power jewelry. I've seen some things. Yeah. <laughs> I've maimed a goat from space. You know, there was a point reading Midnighter where I was like, wow, this is so bleak and dark and grim i don't know if i can go on and then there was the episode with the weird animals where it's all yeah. jokes and i was like oh jokes i like it it's great and that that i've yeah. maimed a goat from space is a pretty great uh pretty great little moment is it fair i mean lisa you you probably know more about the origins of midnighter than than either me or joe um this it, it was Stormwatch, which was then followed mm-hmm. by The Authority. I, I have yeah. read those, but it was so long ago because I think that was like back in 2010 or 2011 when we were uh, talking about it on an, you know, in passing on an early episode of The Incomparable. Yeah. But the my, my recollection was that it was always sort of, you know, th- they were meant to be kind of an alternative take on Batman, Batman and, and Superman. Yeah. And yeah. And so, Superman. Right. I can give you the thumbnail origin because it comes up in Stormwatch first, where uh, um, Midnighter and Apollo are effectively vigilantes. They're brought in under the auspices of Stormwatch because they've been working for Bendix on a Black Ops on the side. And what they say is, we were part of an experiment. We all agreed to be experimented on. And you see the, the origin story unfold and in their number, there is a woman who is extremely good at fighting called Crow Jane, who's a clear Black Canary analog. And there's a guy who's got a green lantern that he holds up, literally, mm. and orders the light from the lantern to do different things. And there's like a guy who can run. And they all get killed horribly when they're trying to break into something called the Nevada Gardens, which are these, which is this fantastical facility where you can bioengineer anything from weapons to pharmaceuticals. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So, this is the backstory. The Nevada Gardens comes back over and over again in the Wildstorm universe. At the time when Stormwatch was going, the way they worked it out with Apollo and Midnighter was, well, the two of us are good on our own. It's nice to know that you're looking out for us now, Jenny Sparks, but we're happy where we are. And then when Authority was booted up, they became central players of the team. They adopted a daughter together. And... um their relationship was very much a settled, a settled married couple type of relationship. It was still very nice, but that's what it was. And so it was interesting to come and read the, the series, this series, where they take all that and kind of blow it up. And you see little bits and pieces of the Wildstorm universe being referenced in each of the three trades that we read, but it's not, it's, it's not integral to knowing the story. And it's more like rewarding people for deep cuts, which I appreciated as well. 
but yeah, they were very clearly meant to be gay Batman and gay Superman. Yeah, and it, yeah, was, yeah. And it was very clearly meant to be a tweak in the nose of, of DC as a whole. Yeah, which is kind of funny because then, of course, they get all kind of subsumed into the DC universe. And, yes. you know, the su- Suicide Squad is in and Amanda Waller are in uh, the Midnighter trades, mm-hmm. which is like, okay, I, I, you know, that's just, I, again, I profess no knowledge in it, which is kind of fun to like have very little backstory and be able to just read these yeah. these stories. But that was my memory of, of when Midnighter and Apollo were introduced is that it was meant to be kind of like a riff on Batman and Superman, but and and, and also I like this like darkness and light, which actually mm-hmm. reminded me of like Cloak and Dagger a little bit. I mean, it's a classic oh, yeah. darkness and light, and they're they're kind of conjoined and and uh, and uh, Midnighter, of course, is I mean he's super violent, right? Like the, the, yeah. as these as these books show us is a you know flare for creative violence, killing, yeah. he's a killing machine and he knows it yeah. and he seems to have come to terms with it yeah well like the thing is is, is or rather i should say it's really glib to say oh they're whilst well, they're wildstorms cheeky answer to superman or batman and i think that's kind of insulting in a few different ways and number one oh the character is gay is not as big an insult as you might want to think it's going to be <laughs> like i think it's a really i think it's a stupid and reductionist and off-putting way to position somebody where oh this should insult the people over at dc no no it shouldn't it's comics anybody can be anything number one and number two who are you to say this sexual orientation is insulting you know i and I didn't take it as being like tweaking. Yeah. I, I took it as riffing, just like there. It's it's actually I had to I had to clear this in my mind because in Invincible, and I don't know how far how deep you've read into Invincible. I'm down like I, I'm like six trades behind. At yeah, this point. It's yeah. Pretty, but well, it's this was a while sad. ago. But they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. in Invincible, they also have a character who's sort of a Batman analog with kind of a Robin analog, and I felt it was the same sort of thing where it was in that case kind of Robert Kirkman kind of riffing on like well in this in this world bat it's always night in gotham city it's literally never not night and so uh that guy and then i think the batman gets killed and the robin has to become the batman analog and all that so i kind of enjoy when comics riff on on these characters and and midnighter was a knowing riff on batman you know like i I enjoyed that the origin story was like oh it's like the justice league only it's dark and weird and underground but the more you get to sit with these characters, Apollo is nothing like Superman or Clark Kent. He mm-hmm. He's a completely different kind of guy, period. Like, he was in the Wildstorm iteration, and he is here, too. And the same goes for Midnighter, because you could argue that one of the two of the things that makes Batman make Batman who he is. One, he's all too aware of how human and vulnerable he is compared to everybody he runs around with, which is like the exact opposite of Midnighter in every respect. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> And two, Batman has a moral code that goes beyond, he needed killing and I needed to do it. Um, you know, he's somebody who's actually pretty heavily invested in, and this is Batman, Batman's actually pretty heavily invested in, this is the society, we have rules. Whereas Midnighter's like, nah, it is rotten all the way down. You just have to know where which levers to press to get what you want. So philosophically, they really have nothing to do with each other. They just kind of like started off as somebody brainstorming and then went in their own different directions. And I think it would be fair to all four characters to say, yeah, Apollo and Midnighter are completely different at this point. Yeah. There, there's a moment of yeah. a, a funny moment in, in one of the Midnighter trades where, or maybe it was Midnighter and Apollo. Somebody says to Midnighter, you know, you don't, you don't have to kill him. And he's like, uh-huh. yeah, 
but I probably should. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, it's like, okay, that's that's who that guy is. Is like, it's like, it's like, I don't. I know I don't to. need to kill, but I'm going to kill the guy because yeah. he's just. I mean, it, it's. I don't know. It, it's it's fascinating, Joe. Um, before we go on any further, so Joe, do you have any any um any background with these characters, or did you just kind of come into it from another angle? Well, I, I mainly came into it from the angle of, of starting with uh, issue uh, one and then reading the free issue, which I think is probably the way I would recommend it. It's kind of weird when you read the graphic novel and the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the trade and they have the, the, the free issue as the first intro thing. But uh, mm. that was really my introduction because... Uh, so the ones that are... we read here were your introduction to Midnighter. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, but the order that I had read it in was just those first two segments of the book are just reversed. Uh, but the... Uh, this was something where I was uh, seeking out um, uh, material that might have uh, a character that might be interesting to me, um, a, a homosexual uh, character in comics, which is uh, mm-hmm. an incredible rarity. Yeah, um, a lot. So, so uh, I was I was hopeful, and then I really loved the series, uh, and I think it stands on its own without um, necessarily uh, saying, "Oh, well, it's a good you know uh, gay superhero." book i think it's a good superhero book mm-hmm. um and so I, I really enjoyed that and then i went backwards and read uh some of uh Stormwatch and uh some of the authority and then there are several iterations of the authority as well as a new 52 mm-hmm. thing i would i don't know if any of that is really worth anyone's mm, time yeah. no <laughs> yeah but uh, <laughs> I, I like starting from here i think the value yeah. of of having read that is for me, the thing that I got out of it the most is this idea that they have the ability to call these doors that are portals yeah. that can take you to, you know, either the, the what is it, the authorities like got a spaceship in the bleed between universes yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. But in Midnighter, it's more just that he can go from place to place. It's and, basically a really cool form of teleportation. Yeah, it's a teleportation yeah. via the door. You you say door, mm-hmm. a door appears that's like a glowing rectangle and you step mm-hmm. through it and you are wherever you wanted to go and yeah. it's instantaneous and and this book um i think makes really great use of that in terms of like if you had this power you would just kind of get around so like he's in oakland and then he's in boston and it's fine like and then he's in yeah. faked city named by dc comics that made me cackle <laughs> a little bit where it's like now we're in coast city or whatever it is yeah. i'm like opal city was a big opal one because that's where that's where uh, apollo settles yeah. down sure yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Boston, Oakland, Opal City, all the great cities. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. So, so you know, one of the things was there are very few comics with gay characters at all, let alone protagonists. Um, and full credit to DC for having at one time during this era too, because they also had what Batwoman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. so you know, and it was fun for me to revisit it. So you you read it, and I know you really liked it. And I thought this would be a fun thing for us all to do, since I remember Midnighter vaguely from yeah. a few years ago. Um, and so these three trades that that we read um, have uh, you know sort of three main overarching stories. Although there's some other things going on, and even though I I wasn't too deep into the background, I was able to get up to speed. Um, I realized we haven't really said what Midnighter's uh, superhero power is, other than punching people and using weapons and getting covered in blood which is a totally a thing that he he is good at he's like a one-man quentin tarantino oeuvre like yeah. all eight like all eight films in one in one in one uh, 
but and cybernetically but enhanced a, body. A reason behind it, which is that he is he has as as the book, and this will be a criticism of mine, as the book tells us repeatedly, endlessly, mm-hmm. he has a combat computer in his brain. And but the idea is it's it's clever. It's like the reason that Midnighter is good at fighting is because he has been enhanced to it's it, basically fighting is like chess to him, and he's got a really good chess computer that can see you know ten yeah. moves ahead, and so he's he's seen all the possibilities. And so when you fight him as a bad guy, unless you've got sort of special mojo of some kind, he's gonna he he knows what you're gonna do. He's figured it all out. So what you you step to the right, and he punches you where you stepped because he knew you would do that. And that's that's kind of his concept is he can't really see the future per se, but he is he is a master tactician when it comes to fighting he's basically a quantum computer for violence like that that is that's fair fair. yeah and um i wanted to talk about how they managed to convey this the artist managed to convey this in the panels because you do Mm -hmm. see fight fight panels where there's in the center of the panel it's you know the midnighter and there's blood all over of course like yeah i feel like we should just cut and paste there's blood all over him into every sentence because that is going to be relevant but you know there's like blood all over him he's grinning and there's a meaty fist flying or like a a, a lug soul about to go into someone's he job he likes his and, job he really does and enjoy then his you job see all those little <laughs> panels around him mm-hmm. these tiny little angled panels where they're little flashes of of how the fight could possibly play out and i like that for two reasons one because occasionally like panel by panel by panel punching gets really boring um so i like that they kind of skipped it and two i like that they present both the fight a moment from the fight he's in and all of the alternate moments he's visualizing and sifting through even while he's fighting like it's a great way to so it's a great way to point out that midnighter is literally the last person on the planet who's ever going to be in the moment yeah the layouts by aco mm-hmm. i think are really what help convey uh mm-hmm. his power functioning and just like you said other than just you know here here is him punching somebody here's him punching somebody again like you see the like x-ray shots of like where the bone broke exactly and you see uh uh close-up details of where uh the fork that he's holding uh in one in one tiny little frame is going to be flying into somebody's head in the next frame one of the multiplexes or something and you you can break down and see uh everything that he's doing and seeing uh which i which i think uh makes it seem uh a little bit more exciting than uh if you were just reading uh some 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 punch ups mm-hmm. It's more visually rich than your average comic because of that, that, you know, you can't because it's not really just telling the straight narrative flow. You are meant to be reading into the boxes that are happening and what is happening, you know, when he is scanning around. And so it, it is as somebody who's read a lot of comics over the years. It really stopped me at a few points where I was like, whoa. I can't like read this the way I would normally read a comic, especially mm-hmm. a fight scene, because th- a lot of those fight scenes are kind of boring. And I do kind of just kind of skim them and be like, oh, yeah, okay. And then he wins and there's a quip and great. And instead, I'm like, no, 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 I can't because this is this is sort of what it, the, the comic is trying to get across is this idea mm-hmm. that Midnighter is is foreseeing paths and branches. And I kind of, as much as I complain about him saying, I have a fight computer in me and I can mm-hmm. see a thousand moves mm-hmm. ahead, yeah. I kind I kind of wanted to have him say that fewer times, but yeah. but have <laughs> show it more. But yeah, but yeah. show it more because I almost I I felt like I could read a whole comic that is just the Midnighter and his strategy 
in a mm-hmm. battle with somebody where it's you know going down this path that gets me killed going down this path that gets me killed though this is promising like i think that would be really interesting maybe maybe such a comic exists but if not mm-hmm. i think that i think that would be kind of cool because that would like go to the heart of his premise but i think steve orlando's like okay look <laughs> i not every you, i could do that one time but that's it otherwise i need to tell a story with this guy mm-hmm. and it's a comic so there needs to be fights so how do i get mm-hmm. that shorthand to to show you that this this is what his power is and and it's a very clever way of doing that i just sometimes i have that moment of like this is such a clever idea i kind of want to ride it a little more and occasionally it happens where there's somebody who says aha but i i can see five seconds into the future and that counteracts your power or whatever it is and that's like mm-hmm. oh okay but uh he's still gonna punch you and cover get covered yeah. in blood. It's, go- it's still gonna hurt five yeah. seconds from yeah. now <laughs> that's a, maybe so i want to raise the possibility that maybe one of the reasons midnighter is so fond of reiterating his power is what you find out in the first trade which is called out um what you find out in the first trade is that his entire b- background has been obliterated. He is right. he is as the he is as the Wolverine with where I've I've lost who I am. Um and so maybe him constantly reiterating this is who I am is him trying to rebuild a sense of self. Like it, he might not even be I don't know if he's consciously aware of doing it, but I feel like if you have an entire book dedicated to him trying to reconcile who he is cuz over the course of that you find out that he broke up with Apollo in part because he's like I've never been with anybody else. I've never, I've never been out and not been with you. Um, I need to figure out what else is out there. And then he spends a lot of the book, you know, finding out what's out there and it's all horrible. Um, <laughs> but, but, but the whole point to the first trade is by the end of it, he does have a really solid idea of who he is and he's able to let go of the idea that he lost who he was. And uh-huh. so maybe, and so maybe that's part of the point too. I have a, I have a computer. This is him holding on to this is who I am now. I'm, I'm a dude with a computer in my head and I also have a really great apartment and I have a network of people I've slept with and or befriended who have GPS trackers in their necks and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> True. I think that's yeah. just practical. That's just pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. never know when somebody's going to be taken a hostage, mm-hmm. so you got to have a tracker in them. My my assumption also about the explanation over and over again, over again, um, is because when it was coming out weekly, um, and they were trying to build a readership, I think they were trying to say his power. If you, it was sure, right. basically the first one you're picking up, right? Because nobody knows. Like our, our our great cultural background, radiation does not include Midnighter, so you have to explain <laughs> who who he is. Yeah, but definitely when you're reading mm-hmm. the trade, and like I was rereading. Um, the number of times that it comes up exactly as that little blurb is, uh, mm-hmm. is, is rather comical and, uh, uh tedious. Um, yeah. but, uh, y- you know, it's one of those things where I wonder if they could benefit from having like one of those pages at the start of, uh, the, the, oh, yeah. the issues that mm-hmm. they pick up where it's just like, this is so-and-so's power and this is where we were last time. Uh. Um, and then just move on from there. Cause then you wouldn't have the trade paperback full of, mm-hmm. uh, that in the dialogue, but it is kind of, um, if it, it started to sort of amuse me a little, uh, when you get into the second book and he's still saying it because it's like you know at this point it's like Darkwing Duck and it's like I'm the terror that flaps in the night Um, but uh, you know I I enjoy that Um, a little little shadow-esque I suppose but uh, yeah it's it's definitely uh, a criticism (laughs) this episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by a new sponsor and it's an innovative shampoo that's right it's from Just for Men, and it's called Control GX. Just for Men is all about helping men look their best. They are innovating to deliver smart hair care technology. And what would that mean? How about 
a shampoo you can use to reduce your gray hair. You just wash your hair with Control GX and your gray will be reduced. You use it as you would your normal shampoo until you like what you see. It provides subtle, natural-looking results. You shampoo it in, you rinse it out, and you move on with your life. It's that easy. Most guys get the results they want in about two weeks, and then you use it every so often to maintain after that. And I've got a deal for you. Yes, I do. You can get 25% off Control GX by using this code SNELL18, so my name and the year, SNELL18, and go to ControlGX.com. That's it. Code SNELL18, 25% off at ControlGX.com. And thanks to Just for Men and Control GX for sponsoring this episode of The Incomparable. Lisa mentioned the, the the story here where somebody's like, I, I downloaded all of your memories, and uh, if you don't let me go, um, I'm going to delete them, and or you kill me, and they'll be lost forever. And that's a really great moment that, that I think that, you know, in some ways the story has been building to that moment because... Um, because Steve Orlando wants to put Midnighter in this situation. And his response is like, I know who I am. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna headbutt you and zap your brain because yeah. I wanna, I'm want i going to kill you now. And I, I, I really like that moment because, again, it, mm-hmm. is, it, it shows this, this confidence that he has. Like, you know, you're not going to hold me hostage. I may not know my, my whole history, but I'm also not going to be held hostage by my history. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, trapped by it. And, uh, and I also want to smash your head with my head. <laughs> so he does. You have to admit, it's kind of an anomaly in the comics world for, for a character to be like, yeah, my history is part of me, but it doesn't define me exclusively. I'm not going to constantly brood on it you know <laughs> yeah honestly as i went through this entire this entire set of books the thing the thing that i like about midnighter more than anything else is that i get a very clear sense of his character and he mm-hmm. does not feel like every other comic book character i've read and th- no. that means and i'm not i'm i'm not a big fan of the super violent gritty um mm-hmm. superheroes which is funny like i, I never really like the punisher he shoots a bunch of people and all that and midnighter is violent and 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 gritty in that way and bloody but he's he is a person he's got mm-hmm. a, a a background he's got a very clear personality and and there's a lot of stuff that just makes me laugh i mean you know it's a good sign that you're doing good character building where as you're reading the books the the character does something and you're like oh midnighter you know like (laughs) just because you know that you you've internalized his character to the point where you see him behaving a certain way and you're like yep that's what that guy does and that happened really quickly while reading these like Mm -hmm. i know who this guy is by that time he teams up to go to rush with dick grace and you're like of course (laughs) why why wouldn't she so endearing in that way yeah. that that oh God, I like that so he's. Funny. I mean, the fact that he's kind of fully integrated and he knows who he is. He knows he's he mm-hmm. when he when he's going to work. He's gonna, it's going to get violent and he's okay with it. The fact that this is okay. Another remarkable thing about this story is so Midnighter and Apollo and Apollo are no longer together until the mm-hmm. end of Volume Two, basically, and then Volume Three. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert is called Midnighter and Apollo. Hmm. <laughs> but um, so he's so he's dating, and we meet uh, several of the guys mm-hmm. that he that he's dating at various points. Um, but he, he, on his dating app, on his profile, mm-hmm. he's just yes. Midnighter. Like he doesn't, yes. he doesn't have a secret identity. He doesn't have an identity that isn't Midnighter and he's just totally open about it. And I, I like, I mean that, and, and I, I suppose that's sort of the double, the double meaning here as well is like, he, he has no secrets. He is the opposite of every other superhero. He is out. He's out as a he superhero. Is he's Midnighter. out of, yeah. That's who he yeah. is. His dating profile is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Currently looking, single, looking for dates, friendships, sparring, interests, violence, 
parentheses, inventive. Yes. Uh, chronically new in town, computer and brain, superhumanly flexible, generally use flexibility for justice. Generally. Uh, looking for other uses. Yep. Have headbutted an alien. Whatever you're thinking, the answer is likely yes, but with punching. Uh-huh. It just, it's the greatest profile ever. Like, who wouldn't swipe? Which way do you swipe on these things? Um, the, the good way. I've, I've been married a long time. I have not had to learn yeah. yeah, but you'd, ooh, I'd be like, quick, 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 how do I swipe? Scr- screaming somewhere in a cafe. I need someone to tell me. I think I just swipe. Snapchatted this person. I don't know what's happening now. Help me. Where am I? No, what I, I love that he's, I love that he likes who he is, though. I, it's, yep. it, there's, there's none of this tortured. And, and I say this as somebody who really loves the X-Men, but like every once in a while, all of the internalized self-loathing, you're like, oh my God, just get over it. Um, and, and there's like no internalized self-loathing nope. here. And I also enjoy no. What I enjoy about him too is he's not self righteous about his morality. Like he does have a code of right and wrong, but he recognizes how that puts him well outside of the mainstream. Like at several points in the book, he's like, "I work for normal people. I protect normal people. I will never be normal people." And there have been and there's more than one incident where he rescues somebody and he's like, "You'll never see me again." And we both want it that way. And I was like, "That's that's really great." Yeah. He's not like one of those superheroes that like hides behind a gargoyle to make sure the little girl gets to school and is well adjusted or whatever. He's just like, "Ah, done." You know, knocks it off the to do list, goes and has fish and chips with his friend Tony. The the fact that he has uh, connections outside of work of wearing mm-hmm. this leather outfit and punching people is actually one of the other delights of the of the book too is that he's got he's got friends he's got people he's dating or has dated um they hang out they have dinner like he meets the roommate at one point that's mm-hmm. pretty funny they're they're like there's a scene where they're i think like drink drinking beer on a deck somewhere and just chatting and it's you know he's mm-hmm. still midnighter he's still got the kind of shaved sides hair on the, over the top it's yeah. a, you know he's got a look even when he's out of uh, costume and i just i really like that because again as as widescreen just super high concept as the plots of these stories are they are they are not like well it's a superhero world but it's kind of realistic it's like nope this is not <laughs> not they, no. these are wild uh storylines they're still all grounded in like when he's not working they're just like he's hanging out with people and they're having real conversations including about who he is and and what he mm-hmm. does um and i think that's just delightful like that that's that's the stuff that makes me connect to the character and and that i don't see as much yeah. he's like the first oprah superhero superhero because he's just living his truth like oprah tells you to you know Mid- midnighter is midnighter is what oprah has been urging us all to do all along oh, i don't that's know not really what i would- <laughs> I mentioned Oprah. You're like, you're like, no, 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 no. It's a step too far. I'm more concerned about what Oprah's plan for uh, for our future is now <laughs> uh, that, ju- that that you've described it this way. And you get a flight computer in your head, and you yeah. get a flight computer, in your head, and you get a door, and you get a door, and you get. Oh my god! You we all get a door now, Joe. You you live in Southern California. Lisa and I live in in the Bay Area, and I just wanted to call out that. Does Steve Orlando live in the Bay Area? I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just uh, saying New York. Really? Okay. Well, he has some good yeah. he has some good knowledge because the Point Isabel Dark Dog Park. Yeah, he got that right. It is is features prominently in several points of these, and that is absolutely right. As well as the presence of Oakland, which I really like. Like San Francisco mm-hmm. is the kind of hot alternate location to like comics set in new york a bunch of different comics have sort of like temporarily taken up space in san francisco i love that midnighter has a whole bunch of scenes in oakland 
right? That and and Lisa, you live in the East Bay. Like that's just yeah. really cool. It gives us a sense of place. It's not something you've he always got seen. The before. Restaurants in Oakland, right? Because I, 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 you best believe the minute I saw Oakland, I was like, let's. And then it's oh, oh, he's no, nailed no, it. No, they, <laughs> they, they, whoever, whatever you know, references or maybe he lived here at one point or whatever. But it's like he mm-hmm. he gets all that right. And of course, with the doors, he can be like in Oakland, and then just he op- calls the door, and then he goes and sees his friends in Boston, and that's all. Mm-hmm. That's all fine, which I really like too. But just the presence of Oakland was, uh, yes, and Opal City. Let's not forget Opal City. I'm sure the Opal City depiction, <laughs> yeah. totally accurate. That's exactly what it's like in Opal City. Yeah. <laughs> try to figure out what Opal City is supposed to be. <laughs> I don't, don't even, it will just twist yeah. your brain if you try to map DC comic cities too. So, yeah. so what else, um, what else to talk about in these, uh, in these first couple of trades? I, I mentioned it before. I love, the as gritty as as these stories can get there is a moment where all of a sudden um there's uh like weird animals running around in Mm -hmm. rochester new york i want to say speaking of other locations you don't usually see in a comic and then people are like super concerned about their the the welfare of the animals which i i really Mm -hmm. appreciated too yeah except for mosquito guy yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) he gets gets punished by you know anybody who's seen the fly you know he gets so can i can i point out one of the things that i i really um didn't notice the first time I read through the comic, but I picked up on the second time is um, there's no male gay. There's no classic male gaze. And, you know, you guys are familiar with the fr- term male gaze where it's when women are depicted in, in art and they're being depicted through the lens of like heterosexual desire. And it leads to really stupid poses in comic books and uh-huh. women wearing costumes like bikinis as they go to fight crime and things like that. And um, the straight male gaze is completely absent from these books and I had not realized consciously how restful it was. <laughs> well, no, because, yeah, you know, because yeah. there's all, and, and I love comics and I love, a, and, and I've, I've read a lot of comics and in, in, in a lot of different, but there's always a part of me that's kind of like braced against, okay, when am I going to see some woman who is fighting, but she's upside down and doing the splits and she's wearing cutoffs and a bikini top at the same time and nothing is shifting. And it was not like this at all. The suicide Squad comes up and you're like, oh boy. Boy, right? You would be like, oh, here comes I, Harley yeah, no. Quinn. But all right, just like brace yourself, they, and it's not like that at all. They focus on her face. All the shots of her are of her face. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I, I giggled because yeah. not because I disagree, but because it's also an observation that I had too, um, mm-hmm. which I uh, also greatly appreciate. But there's there's another kind of gaze that is mm-hmm. in here, um, which oh, is yes. also interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a homoerotic gaze, and mm-hmm. it's real. It's it's interesting to see the men being treated so explicitly as objects of desire, like the way they're drawn, the way they're framed, the way the kisses are framed. Um, I got a lot, of, and to be honest, I got a lot of laughs out of how Dick Grayson slash Nightwing was depicted <laughs> because <laughs> because like that has been subtext in comics for years, where they're like, "Ladies, he's adorable." And you're like, "No, I, I feel like we're barking up the wrong tree here," and and in in um, volume one when dick grayson teams up with midnighter there is definitely like a bit of a flirty slash repressed vibe going on there and dick is constantly being portrayed as 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 um you know the girlfriend in peril even as he's like no no i'm a real superhero and i really appreciated that and and when someone's like is he your sidekick and and uh, he's like no he's my intern (laughs) you know it's in, and, and I wonder if maybe that's what challenged people when it came to this comic. Um, 
because this this comic was loved. It was loved hard, but by, by a really small group of people, comparatively speaking. And that's one of the reasons that it got pulled. But I wonder if it's because you've had people who grew up with a comics vocabulary where they're like, the women aren't posing with arched backs and doing the splits while they fight. And I don't know why I keep seeing so many shots of men getting out of the shower. And I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> why are we in a Russian bathhouse? But uh, it, oh, yeah, well, that I, was, I, I love that entire <laughs> sequence. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think that a lot of people had a hard time and not just the people reading it, but uh, the owners of comic book stores, I'm sure, uh, yeah. were not really anxious to uh, uh, carry the the stock for this. Um, so while the trades ended up, I think, selling well enough that they got the the second volume and they also got the uh, uh, limited uh, third run of with Midnight or Apollo, it certainly wasn't successful like as a weekly thing that people were snatching up off the shelves. Yeah, and somebody, uh, was it Anthony, our friend Anthony Johnston, who mm-hmm. tries not to pr- pronounce too much about comic book industry issues as he is a working comic book industry professional but he yeah. said he was actually a little mystified about why it didn't uh why they didn't do some marketing in various lgbt media circles to yeah. see if they could drum up support that way because it was clear that a lot of the traditional comic book retail shops there, there, there would be some resistance there which is unfortunate but you know you're like all right well can we are there other places we don't normally go to talk about our our comics that we could talk about this and you know maybe they didn't do as much of that as they could have well you have to remember i i, I think just speaking at Speaking not from an industry, because I think Anthony's right, but what I've also noticed is that from a lot of fan communities, there's a real hostility to the idea that anybody who's not already a comics book fan can become a comic book fan. Oh, yeah. Like, they get really angry over the idea that, well, these girls are into Marvel now only because they like the movies. And I'm like, you should be thrilled that people have skidded sideways into the comics because they really like the Avengers movies. Like, this should be what you want. Why are you complaining that they didn't come up, like, the right way? I was I was unaware there was, like, a fandom combine where you were supposed to have played for four years in your local comic book store before, you know, running some trivia gamut, and then you were allowed to say that you like comics. Um, and I wonder if uh, local comic book stores and just fans themselves were like, no, this this doesn't fit our preconceived notions of what the books are supposed to be about. I don't like this. I don't like the fact that it's just I don't like the fact that it's just different enough um, with everything from how it approaches the issue of a secret identity, as in I don't have one, to the male gaze, as in we're going to flip it around and make you make you question why there has to be a gaze at all. Like, I think I think people might have been resistant to it, you know, which is a shame, which is a shame because the stories are really good. You know, it's not like, it's not like the entire run was, I'm a gay superhero with a flight computer. Like that was not no. it at all. No. You know? No. no, it was just, I have a flight computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Again. <laughs> and again, uh, the, I, as somebody who, you know, the, the, male gaze on other men in these books, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't do anything for me, but I will say mm-hmm. that I, I have grown increasingly weary i mean i found it uncomfortable even when i was a teenager just how blatant a lot of the comic book art was and and Mm -hmm. not 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 to mention the writing of a lot of the the women characters and as somebody who likes 
attractive women and pictures of them mm-hmm. even with that i would be like oh this is kind of gross guys like this goes like it's it's too much and and, and yeah i gravitated toward characters like the x-men was a great one because the x-men mm-hmm. had some really amazing women characters and i am one of those people who had who loved kitty pride right like yeah. she's like mm-hmm. oh my gosh she's teenager. she's x-men she's so awesome um and she's also not real sorry everybody yes <laughs> also bill sankowitz is not is is not drawing crazy that's true star yeah that's true too but but it was always so my my point is it's always made me uncomfortable and and yet i realize when i read something like this like how much of it i i just have blotted out or don't notice Mm -hmm. that that continues to exist it's only when i show like comic art or a or a comic book to somebody who's not like deep enough in it and they're like whoa Mm -hmm. and i look and i'm like oh yeah that's pretty unprofessional and risque and kind of gross isn't it and (laughs) i I, like so even even i would just like be like i'm just not gonna even it's just there and so it is a breath of fresh air for me to see Mm -hmm. a book like this that's like you know the women are treated as 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 regular characters and the the art because that's the other thing that happens you can have amazingly well written uh stories and then you end up with an artist who has been trained and it may not even be their intention but has been trained mm-hmm. to pose the women in ridiculous poses and that doesn't really happen in this which is which is nice Thinking um, about Greg Land's run on Birds of Prey. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that was a thing about, that happened. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was thinking about Greg Land and Squadron Supreme, but yeah, it's, yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so, so the animals in Rochester was really great. I loved it. It made me laugh. Uh, it showed me the so something I liked. Um, I liked the Batman Brave and the Bold uh, cartoon, which is not one of the like uh, the cool people like Batman the Animated Series, and that w- that happened too late for me. But my my uh, son was exactly the right age for Batman the Brave and the Bold, and the thing I loved about that animated sh- show, and I watched an episode with Tony for Batman University, is Batman is like super dry and funny. Mm-hmm. And when I I read, especially in Volume Two more than Volume One, I got the same vibe from Midnighter. Like he's a scary dude. But he knows he's a scary dude, and he's yeah. and he's got a sense of humor under there. Mm-hmm. And that the the animal hybrid uh, creatures in uh, Rochester, New York, underneath the streets of Rochester, New York. That really was the moment where I was like, "Oh no, I love this guy. This guy is great because he is he is that kind of dry the the dry humor." And then that kicks off into the whole you know second story arc of uh, of Volume Two. Uh, which was with the Suicide Squad and all of that, which I'm sure contains yep. all sorts of DC references that I just don't understand. But yeah. you know, the 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 one good thing though uh, was we had that as a palate cleanser because mm-hmm. the end of Volume One is so uh, dark. <laughs> it's so sad. It's yeah. I'm going to argue that Volume One is ultimately optimistic because um, the the antagonist in what is a shocking betrayal, basically tells uh, Midnighter, I'm using your past against you. This is how I'm going to win against you. I'm going to manipulate you. Oh, you have a dilemma you can't solve. And Midnighter's like, oh, you know what? Now that you've pointed that out, I've decided it doesn't matter. Stomp. Yeah. And That's when so the headbutt the- comes in. The, the magnetic media erasing headbutt. Yeah. But by the end of but by the end of it, yes, he opened himself up to somebody and got betrayed, and it was tremendously heartbreaking. And yeah. I went back through it and flipped through, and I was like, the sheer amount of calculation this guy had to do to to maneuver a thing into position is kind of stunning when you think about it. But 
by the end of it, Midnighter, Midnighter knows his, who's in his network, you know, who will show up for him. And he's really comfortable with the idea that there are going to be questions that he just can't answer. And he begins to make uh, make steps towards rep- towards repairing his relationship with one person who didn't care who he was or didn't or rather didn't care that he didn't have a past uh, it's like the most well adjusted anyone has ever been after breakup really <laughs> so I, I i it's it's a little heartbreaking but it was also i thought oddly optimistic because you're like you got the sense he was going to be okay you know yeah it's when the oh. books end and they're not okay that, that i begin to worry about well, the characters. That, that he goes to, to apollo at the end and leaves the one mm-hmm. thing that the one thing that's left as any evidence of his of his former life was a picture, which is a picture of him as a kid, and he leaves it for Apollo. Yeah, and that's how mm-hmm. how it ends. Yeah, it's, that's it's how. Good. And you know, he he opens he, he's opening the door again, and he's admitting that some some things matter. Mm-hmm. And um, I like that. No, I went back and because um, the first time we read through, and I'm like, oh snap, it's a huge betrayal. Because um, it, it was it was genuinely shocking the first time, and then I went back and looked at how many times. Um, the baddie, who I'm not sure we refer- how we should refer to him, but how many times the baddie like deliberately brought up his childhood, deliberately brought up relics uh-huh. of the past, like the guy jogs with the disc man, like all of the 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 breadcrumbs are there where he's just kind of trolling nonstop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, but it's one of the things that I appreciated. It was definitely mm-hmm. not a spur of the moment uh, twist there at the end. Um, yeah. And like you're saying, it is optimistic that he you know pulls it together but the the issues themselves are kind of dark in terms of like not having the comedy there to really carry it oh i Um, agree yeah yeah so that's i think what's refreshing about when you move into volume two um because you don't Mm -hmm. have that uh specific heaviness uh there with the with that once you get past the animals too there's the whole thing which i really loved of where he has to go to the the space station and so they like shoot him into space with like a big bullet, <laughs> and they're like, "I hope you're not concerned about this." He's like, no, this is awesome. This, let's do it. <laughs> and then he, and then he's just like single-handedly attacking. He first off, if you got a space station, you probably are assuming that somebody's not going to just knock on the door, but then the midnighter knocks on the door and like, "Who's home?" And then I'm going to like beat the crap out of everybody who's home and get the thing mm-hmm. that I came for. Um, and that that's that's all really great. So even though the you know the Suicide Squad characters themselves, which there's I'm sure there are many iterations of Suicide Squad, and I have watched enough um, TV and stuff to know, and I, I know enough to know vaguely who the Suicide Squad characters are. But they they kind of you know they're just another impediment for the Midnighter, and uh, it's fine when they when they show up. I, I think um, I'm just guessing that it had to do with the the movie. Uh, movie coming out around yeah. the same time these comics were going to be hitting the shelf um but uh you know they it, it doesn't feel horribly forced as far as these sort of uh hero group fights other hero stuff can 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 be sometimes um the the actual disagreements between them seem pretty genuine yeah uh so uh i appreciate that part of it as well as uh you know how things uh need to be pulled together towards the end and he needs to get some help from somebody yes um, indeed there's refreshing there is that that moment where he he is basically kind of uh left for dead and and has left a final little call for help, which manages to save him. Mm-hmm. I, I should say, like Indiana Jones and a lot of other characters that that um, that I love in 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 fiction, um, especially in visual media. You know, when fights are easy, it gets really boring for me. I, I much prefer. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, this was my complaint about Man of Steel, right? Was that they th- those guys punch each other forever and nothing happens because they're both invulnerable Kryptonians. And why are we even watching this? One of the things that I really like, not only is Midnight are brutal, like we said, but the aftermath is like he ends up with with like bandages all over his body <laughs> yeah, after he has awful. a fight, which I like because that's what would happen if you got even if you have some you know healing powers and other things like he he shows the aftermath of when he gets in a big fight and i think i think that's necessary i think i think that makes the whole thing better because there's a cost to it there's a great splash page in volume two where he he ends up uh at apollo's and he's uh he's just a disaster Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, one of my favorite panels uh, is the, the 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 Superman mug. Um, just just love that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a nice little detail. <laughs> it, it, it is good where things wind up at the end. And uh, while it is unfortunate that this didn't continue on um, in this particular form uh, any longer mm-hmm. than these two volumes, it was uh, good to see uh, it have a moment to wrap itself up and not just like abruptly end. <laughs> in the middle of that that arc that would have been infuriating um and uh you do get stuff that goes on in the the follow-up a little mini thing but it but it is definitely uh i would say a separate break from from this yeah did you like the the, at the end of the trade there's the story that's told backward which i thought was incredibly Mm -hmm. clever and well done that it is it is understandable once you realize what's happening in both directions um, and and is again trying to creatively portray how Midnighter is seeing twenty moves ahead by showing you the end, <laughs> and then backing <laughs> up to the beginning when he says, "Aha! I know what will happen now." <laughs> uh, let's talk about Apollo and Midnighter. So the, Apollo and Midnighter do get back together, kind of at the end of Volume Two. Like there's mm-hmm. a, they, have, they have their moments. Um, volume three then is quite surprising to me in that basically, um, uh, Apollo gets sent to hell, yeah. uh, which, which in DC comics is a real place. And I don't know a lot about it other than I've read some Sandman and it seemed very Sandman-y to me that there's a, there's a guy who's in charge and he comes up with torments and Apollo is being tormented and his body is kind of like not quite dead, but comatose verging on dead. And Midnighter decides he's going to find a way he is going to literally um, he's going to assault the gates of hell to bring. Uh, it seems awfully mythological, doesn't it? To bring his it's, dead, um, yeah. Orpheus his- and uh and I forget the name of Orpheus's girlfriend, the one who who um, looks behind when they find. But but yeah, it, there's there's an entire Greek myth about it. When Orpheus's uh-huh. uh, girlfriend, the snake bites her, she dies. She goes down to Hades, and he goes down to Hades to get her back. And yeah, so this is this is full on like so. There's a bit of that. I, I was mythic. not expecting that full on mythological, mm-hmm. big, wide, bro, you know, storyline. And that's what we get is yeah. Midnighter goes to hell, basically. Yeah. The, well, the aesthetics are straight out of the Lucifer series. Um, I think. Have you guys, have either of you read that, the Mike Carey series, Lucifer? Mm-mm. I haven't. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's great. Um, I will recommend it. It's seven or eight volume trades though. So it's, it's kind of a commitment. See if you can find somebody who owns it and borrow it from them <laughs> before you buy it yourself. But, um, Lucifer was a spinoff slash sequel to, uh, the Sandman. The, the, the Sandman um, comic. Mm-hmm. And in Sandman, and, and this is where you digress. I, I swear we're going to get back to a point, though. In Sandman, one of the major story arcs is Lucifer decides he's had enough of running hell. He 
hands he hands the Sandman the key, um, Morpheus the key. He's like, nah, I'm off. I'm going to go to Australia, watch some sunsets on the beach, and then I'm opening a piano bar in Los Angeles. Do not ever bother me about the, about the land of the dead again. And so he does that. And the reason this is relevant in Sandman is there's an entire plot arc around who gets to run hell afterwards. And you find out bits and bobs about what hell it really is. So in Lucifer, of course, he does start off by owning the piano bar. And then it turns into this whole big cosmic meditation. There's a war in hell. You get all sorts of backstory mythology. And long story short, all of the aesthetics from like the neighborhood to the inventive tortures to the creatures you see, they're all lifted from Lucifer. Ah. Like hmm. a lot of a lot of this stuff is pr- is a pretty direct call out to stuff that you do see in hell over the course of however many volumes in Lucifer there are. So I I really appreciated that that DC, the DC universe was like, oh, this is yeah, you know, we already have a hell. Let's just go back and pillage it for visuals rather than having to reinvent it whole scale. And um, the most explicit Sandman tie in that they have, however, is when they're playing the game the the Mansions of Happiness. Um, when it gets to uh, the sin of murder and you have Cain murdering Abel, those are the exact same um, portrayals of Cain and Abel that you see through the Sandman. Like, that is that is exactly how they're depicted with the hair and the clothes and everything. So I thought that was a really nice, really sly Sandman shout out. Mm. So I was like, oh! <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it, and again, not, not quite what I was expecting because you've got this technological hero. I mean, Apollo obviously has, has a lot of mythological overtones. And there is this question of like, why, why did you name yourself Apollo? Where, uh, which is, you know, it's obvious that what's going to happen there that I, I I will say that he's not going to tell him the, the right answer. Like it's not, it's not going to, it's like, aha, I know your secret. And Maul's like, yeah, maybe. Um, but that mm-hmm. the technological hero of the midnighter is, is having to go to hell. It's like, how is that even possible? And then that leads to lots of other questions about how they're going to do it. But in the end, it is that it is this love story of how am I going to get my beloved out of hell? Um, if I am, somebody who has a fight computer in my brain and, and likes to punch people. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, it all works out. <laughs> in the end. <laughs> but I like that one a lot. I, I was surprised. I, I Apollo and Midnighter went places I didn't expect, and I thought it was really good. I actually thought these, maybe it's me adapting to it a little bit, but I thought this got better as it went along. I mean, I really like Midnighter Volume 2 better than Volume 1, but... Uh, um, I, I got to think about it more, but I thought Midnighter and Apollo was really fun as a change of pace too. That it was, it just was not what I was expecting at all, and I really liked it. Yeah, it's it's really uh, unusual compared to the other the prior ones. Uh, the the artist mm-hmm. on it is totally different. Yeah. Um, the uh, artwork is definitely uh, a change, and the the theme, of course, of this very mythological, very magical. Um, uh exploration that they do um and it it is very much uh an exploration of their relationship uh even though they're not in much of the comic together um Mm. but the uh the middle part of it i think is probably where things get a little slow and it's like okay so i feel like we're cutting back and forth to not a lot of stuff happening Mm. yeah but the uh the beginning is the weird setup and then the end is when everything starts to come together in the last couple issues uh is fun yeah because it's only six issues but yeah i suppose if i had to choose i'd probably choose as my favorite having read these volume two as strange as that is of midnighter because it is less bleak um Mm -hmm. there is there is fun um, amid the blood (laughs) (laughs) it's really great i would love to see it given a movie treatment 
if that makes sense. It's because, like you said, it's less bleak. And I think it does a really great job of pointing out that this, for all that he's basically murder on murder in boots, he's a remarkably well-adjusted guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's at, he's at peace with who he is. He likes who he is. He likes what he does, you know? Yeah, he doesn't think... I mean, he's not like... Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Wolverine is a little bit like that, too. But Wolverine's got, yeah. he's got some angst, a, li- a little bit. I wish I knew my background. At least he knows that what he does isn't very nice, right? But I guess the yeah. Midn- I guess Midnighter knows that, too. And Midnighter's also got a healing factor. You know, he mentions that in one book. And I thought, you know, that's interesting that they, they've given him attributes. He he reminds me more of Wolverine than he does of Batman in the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they're trying to also explain how he survives. Everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else we haven't talked about about Midnighter and no, the, or Midnighter and Apollo? No? Should it, no, should, just uh, a lot of sad fun. that it mm-hmm. didn't get to go on for uh, longer, um, but uh, I, I greatly enjoy that it's there, and it makes it pretty easy to recommend when it's like, oh, there's only, you know, two and a half of them mm-hmm. for you to read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not a huge investment of time or money, and you'll enjoy it, so... Yeah, it's good. And if you and mm-hmm. if you like yeah. it, you can also dig on back and and check out some of that wacky Warren Ellis Wildstorm stuff that's out mm-hmm. there. Oh, A plus <laughs> plus. I recommend. It's a it's almost like a little history lesson in comics at this point, but um it's 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 pretty, which I I think helps a lot. It's it's pretty to look at and it's very entertaining and you can see it if you want to get more of the in jokes that get sprinkled through the DC universe today. It's it's a nice back read. So before we go, I always like to ask if uh, there are other books that people have been reading recently that they would like to mention because this is a nice way for people to find other comics to read. Joe, I, I get the impression you don't read a lot of comics. Are there other comics that you've read lately that you that you liked and would like to recommend? I am not uh, as much of an avid reader because uh, I usually just try to grab everything all in one go. But uh, I, I defer to anything that Lisa says because I'm sure it will be amazing. Well, Lisa's going to, yeah, she's going to kill it. I just, you know, if there was something that you wanted to mention that you liked, then, then this would have been the chance. But it's fine. No, I was going back and doing some of the Stormwatch uh, rereading um, and uh, that that was a thing um but uh yeah. <laughs> it was it's very different uh also in terms of era uh you, you, sure. you oh, get, yeah. it's very very 90s but uh, oh the hair alone is amazing <laughs> yeah the hair and the shiny tight costumes um but yes. uh, <laughs> yeah that, that that's that's not necessarily something i'm gonna put a throw a recommendation behind at the moment fair i think that's fair Lisa, uh, what about you? So, uh, the wicked, the wicked and the divine came out with uh, trade paperback number five. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that one yet. I'm, I'm so I'm, that's where I am. I read that one recently, and uh, I'm eagerly awaiting number six. Um, the two that I'm kind of smit- that I was kind of simultaneously smitten by and creeped out by were by Roberto. Um, I'm going to mess up his last name, and I apologize, sir. Roberto uh, Aguirre Sacasa, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and um, Afterlife with Archie. Oh, I was going to say, are those are those, those wacky horror Archie comics? And they are. That's yeah. They are. So, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is set in the 1960s, and they do a great job of, of basically, like, stripping all of the romance out of people who are out of the Mad Men era, as it were. Like, um... I watched Mad Men because, of course, I did. But one of my biggest complaints was they really made racism and sexism look glamorous and sassy. And um, <laughs> Chilling Adventures of Sabrina strips that right away, strips that out right away. Um, 
And I love how it neatly subverts a whole lot of um, the tenants of the Riverdale type universe. Uh, you'll never guess who happens to, you'll never guess who happens to be in the covens, you know, things like that. And it's dark. It's like, it's, it's kind of Rosemary baby uh, dark and uh, only going to get darker. So I really loved it. Apparently the new Sabrina Netflix TV it's series be is based, based on, on it. it. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that because I, I, on the one hand, I'm sure it'll be fine and very Twin Peaksy and atmospheric. But on the other hand, this works so well on the page. And one of the reasons it works so well is because the comics are so clearly meant to evoke the comics of the 1960s and, uh, and and yet with some very uh, Audie's gore thrown in. So I, I appreciate it for that reason. Uh, and again, Afterlife with Archie is basically, let's turn everyone in Riverdale into zombies and see who survives. And um, Sabrina, of course, kickstarts that too. And I, I like that book. Um, I'm not as smitten by it as I was with The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So... Like those, um, I found there was one trade of Northlanders, which was Brian Wood's big old Viking comic series through Vertigo. I um, had not read ones. I had not read one volume of it called Metal, which um, includes, among other things, uh, two types of murders in Iceland. <laughs> and um, I enjoyed that, uh, especially since Vikings are having a bit of a cultural moment right now. So, if you have some spare cash to burn, um, and or you feel like trawling for used copies on Amazon, I highly recommend the entire Northlanders series. Um, that it's varied. It bops back and forth through history, and they take on um, Norse myths, Norse myths plus the making of myths plus what everyday life was like if you were in in you know any part of Scandinavia during the period where the Vikings ran rampant. But um, the thing, speaking of Warren Ellis, he rebooted uh, elements of. Uh, the Wildstorm universe with um, a series called The Wildstorm. Hmm. And um, I finished the first trade and I have the second one coming to me uh, shortly. And um, you do not have to have read any part of the Wildstorm universe in the 1990s to get it. If you have, there are some nice little, oh, that's how they reimagined them. Oh, that's how they recast the moments. But if you haven't, it basically comes down to, um, it comes down to uh, where supernatural, uh, corp- it's corporate espionage crossed with a little bit of planetary and mixed with, um, and, and mixed with some uh, Henry Bendix style uh, super secret one world government that is planning on messing things up type action. And all of those things are up my alley. And I really liked Ellis's writing. I hope he can keep it up. And John Davis Hunt did the artwork. And I also enjoyed the artwork. It feels very fresh. And it feels um, like I'm sure if we podcast 20 years from now, and God help us if we are, <laughs> if we podcast, <laughs> I'm sure if we podcast 20 years from now, we're revisiting comic book club. Um, we'll be like, Oh, that art looks so oddies. But right now that's not a bad thing. So I recommend it. It's fun to read. And uh, it's always really clever to see what Ellis has to say about um, the machinery of power, the people who get ground between the gears and the people who are pulling the levers. Oh, oh, and I also wanted to mention, um, with my daughter, I'm reading Squirrel Girl. Uh. We're up to to who runs the world, squirrels. And... um, there is a series that is aimed at very young girls. Um, by, by this, I mean like late elementary school, middle school, DC superhero girls, where the premise is that all of these people like Poison Ivy and um, Katana and Bumblebee and Wonder Woman and um, like 
are you a female in the DC universe? You are probably a high school student in this universe. And Gorilla Grodd is their vice principal, and Amanda Waller is the principal, and they have adventures together, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, and even if, uh, even if you do not have a, a little girl in your life, it's, it's interesting to see how these characters are being packaged and introduced to new audiences. And I'll be curious to see if the way they're being packaged and introduced, like, for example, Poison Ivy is besties with Harley Quinn, and they all hang out with Supergirl and Wonder Woman all the time, you know. It'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if that sort of stuff reverberates and influences writers 10, 10 to 12 years from now. All right. I've got uh, a couple that I've been reading. Um, I read Brian Michael Bendis's uh, Spider-Man 2, which is a sequel to a miniseries I liked very much, Spider-Man, where uh, Peter Parker and Miles Morales meet for the first time. And it is wonderful. Um, Spider-Man 2. Eh, mm-hmm. it's not that great. Um, I have to. I have to admit. I. I wonder quite why it even needed to happen. Other than I think the there. There's something that happens at the end of the fifth and final issue that is maybe the justification for the entire story. And there's not a lot of a story there. It really is sort of about um, Miles Morales has come to the mainstream Marvel universe, but uh, he didn't originate there for because of reasons. And uh, who was the original Miles Morales in that universe? And we go. We get to meet him and find out what uh what his deal is and um it is a i i I don't think particularly necessary it's got some nice moments between the two characters because it is these two different marvel hasn't had two active spider-man characters really before and and this lets them have a conversation about uh you know peter being kind of the mentor to miles who is young the young kid that he was when he started there's some nice dialogue there bendis does dialogue really well the story is kind of nothing um and the ending i have to say as somebody who read every single issue of ultimate spider-man the last like five pages of spider-man 2 number five um if you loved ultimate spider-man and are sad that it's over you should buy spider-man 2 number five and read the end because it 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 like brought me to tears um in a good way and it does feel especially since knowing that bendis is leaving marvel like um this is his farewell to the work that he's done over 15 years with um with the ultimate spider-man cast and and crew right down to the fact that um mark bagley who was his artist for uh, more than 100 issues of ultimate spider-man does the art for that for those pages so it really is like a a a curtain call and even though the 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 overarching story is not particularly great um it was a great ending it's the kind of thing that only happens in a comic book where this doesn't make any sense to you unless you've read 140 other comics but Mm -hmm. if you read those other 140 comics it's amazing well that's what that (laughs) is it's not not Mm. what something I'd, i'd advise anybody else read um I have read two issues of Doomsday Clock, the Watchmen sequel from DC Comics, and oh. we've done we've done is- episodes about Watchmen and Watchmen prequels and all of that. I-, I know a lot of people feel like the last thing anybody wants to see is a Watchmen sequel where the Watchmen characters meet DC Universe characters and how it's trampling on the original. I'll say that they're never going to take that that book out of print. It will never be ruined by anything else because the book will already exist. I will say Doomsday Clock is as faithful and as carefully constructed a modern sequel to Watchmen could possibly be. I'm not sure I approve of the idea still, but I am extremely impressed that the people who are making it 
obviously love the source material, show it a great deal of reverence, and are then also not so paralyzed with reverence that they're not afraid to tell a new story. Um, it's an interesting thing to see because it would be so easy for me to roll my eyes at something like Doomsday Clock and be like, oh boy, here they go. Watchmen 2, Electric Boogaloo. And uh, <laughs> it's it's way better than it deserves to be. And uh, you know, I'll reserve judgment, but two issues in, I'm like, okay, like I get it. I get what they're trying to do here. Um, uh, good for them for, for, for trying. I, I know DC Comics probably just said, we want some money, make a Watchmen sequel, but... Um, it's it's really quite carefully constructed. Um, and then the only other plug I wanted to give is to Saladin Ahmed's uh, Black Bolt at mm-hmm. Marvel, uh, which is not a character I've ever found interesting in any medium, anywhere, at any time. <laughs> and it's and it's great. Like, the best thing about Black Bolt is that he has an awesome dog who teleports and is huge. Um, and in, in Saladin Ahmed's Black Bolt series, not only would Black Bolt tell you if he could that that's true, that the best thing is Lockjaw, but um, he ends up, mm-hmm. like, waking up in a prison, and there are, and, and, like, Crusher Creel is there, and there's some other people there, and he doesn't know why he's there. And it's really, really well done. So there's a trade of the first volume of Black Bolt called Hard Time. Mm-hmm. And I, I recommend it. it. I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's really good. It's and not what you'd expect, which is delightful after all this time and all these comics that somebody could come in and tell a story with those characters that makes them interesting <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I, I I appreciate uh, your your uh, what you had to say about the the Doomsday Clock stuff because I had been a little trepidatious uh, based on the whatever that original teaser thingy was that was like a year ago. Oh, the the button and all the yeah. oh yeah they did the they did the yeah they've been leading up to this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh it's definitely made by people who love the original material. I mean, like, and they're trying to kind of hew close to the format, so it's got the kind of nine pan, panel grid kind of format to it, like. They're, they're, and I don't know how to say this. It, it could, everything I'm describing could be like just a soulless aping of Watchmen without understanding what was trying to go on there. And it's not, it's better than that. It's a lot better than that. Whether it's good and whether they should have done it, I, that I can't answer. But I have, in both the issues that I've read, been impressed with the level of care and professionalism that has gone into it, that it it is not, it it was not dashed off. It is by people who love the source material and want to do right by it. And, uh, that's good. That's like, that's a start. That's, that's, you can't, you won't succeed if you don't have those things. And they do. Yeah. I, I remember from reading, uh, I read a lot of, uh, Green Lantern that Jeff Johns was Mm -hmm. doing, uh, that he was very into all of the stuff that Alan Moore had done uh-huh. um and and to to a point of uh being heavily criticized about it so I was a little trepidatious about how reverent he was going to be but I will definitely uh give it a look yeah I, I uh, thank you I still don't know what I'm thinking about like and then Batman is here in a book that sort of reads like a Watchmen book I kind of would almost it rather just be a sequel to Watchmen, but instead it's a sequel to Watchmen in which the universes are breached and Batman and Superman, like there's that moment where you're reading a Watchmen comic and Batman is in it and you're like, what? (laughs) So we'll see. (laughs) We'll, we'll see. But, uh, but I, I think, I think the best way to put it is way better than it could have been, you know, than it could really could have been bad. And I give them credit for actually like, working hard you could tell that they're working hard and they care and it is is it a corporate 
cash in probably but you know again i've seen a lot of those and generally they're just awful and this is not so good for them all right well i think we've reached the end of comic book club yeah. we should do more comic book club i just we need more should. things i just need more things uh, lisa just uh start thinking about what we should read uh, next although i'm thinking of doing an issue i think i'm doing an episode about invincible which i don't <gasps> think we've done because it, it ends soon it ends in february uh. of 2018 so um maybe but I'm, I'm so behind on on that one i actually have and and this is this is gonna sound like i'm making excuses i'm not um Owing to a series of life circumstances that have involved at various times, um, a 125-year-old oak tree, an army of dead rats, a flooded shed. Sure, sure. Um, the usual. And, and the dramatic relocation of my entire comic book collection. I have honestly forgotten where I stopped huh. with Invincible. So I don't know where I am and what I need to read to catch up. I might be able to return the favor and just loan you yeah. mine because I've got the, I've got the, uh, the giant omnibus. Oh, paperbacks mm-hmm. of the first whatever hundred issues yeah. <laughs> um so maybe we'll but talk yeah, i mean i i think we have we have to have talked about it because we both really loved it yeah and if not that then maybe we will talk about uh something else that's going on like uh i mean i would love to find something that i haven't read at all that is that is yeah. uh, that is relatively new and in a trade and all that it's the challenge of comic book club because we don't what we don't want to do is be like yeah i just read this issue of this comic it's like we want to give you something you can buy like midnighter volume one and two and midnight in Nepali, and you can just read those and then be done and not have to subscribe to a whole thing and read back issues and stuff like that so we'll we'll figure it out because i do like doing comic book club all right um i would like to thank my guests for being here joe rosensteel thank you for sort of suggesting that we do this i was very happy to read these comics thank you for having me and i uh figure you're used to taking orders from a man in black grayson <laughs> bat ears as he says that that's the best part (laughs) (laughs) and lisa schmeiser thank you as always thank you this is such a pleasure and joe thank you for making these recommendations i loved these and i'm so glad they're in my library now i'm very happy that you appreciated them because i was worried i was like oh no she's actually read all the other stuff so uh maybe maybe it doesn't live up but uh thank you it was great and i've been your host jason snell thanks for listening to this episode of the incomparable we'll see you next week 